Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Well, I think we can all agree that the smartest person in the sports universe this morning is Holly Rowe. Holly, good decision. Going to the college football title game, missing out on the Jazz third straight road loss. Actually, I think Holly was in Indianapolis, in Indianapolis prepping for that, doing hits leading up to it. And I think she missed all three of the games. The loss in Toronto, the loss in Detroit, in Indiana, and then the loss in Detroit. And honestly, I think each one of those wor- losses got worse. Toronto, you understood. They didn't have the guys. Whiteside might have been the only rotation guy there. Maybe there was one more. But it, it, was, uh, it, it wasn't the Jazz. And they played hard, and they led for two and a half quarters, and then All-Star decided, eh, we're not going to lose to guys who are barely in the league, so forget it. You understand the Toronto loss. The Indiana loss, not great. And the Jets were missing more players against the Pistons than they were against the Pacers, but the Pacers are a much better team than the Pistons. And even missing three rotation players, the Jazz should beat the Pistons, especially because they were up by 22 points in the middle of the second quarter. And they were dominating. And Hassan Whiteside, who got off to a horrible start, had turned it around and was feasting. Early in the game, Whiteside, going against a player who's, I don't know, four or five inches shorter, got a shot blocked twice, real early in the game. You start 0 for 2, you finish 10 of 15. Well, that's good because that means you win 10 for 13. Hassan got matched up with Trey Lyles for a big stretch of the game. And Trey's also undersized versus Hassan. And by then, Hassan was awake and in bully mode. I think the moment they did it was Hassan Whiteside inbounded the ball early in the game. as one of the things where you don't expect an opponent to be lurking. And basically, you're not paying attention. You throw the ball straight to him. And then the guy hesitates for a moment and then comes right at you and dunks. And you never get off the ground. And Whiteside kind of flexed like, ah, what was I doing? Because, well, I think the question everybody had is, what are you doing? But after that, Whiteside was dominating, getting matched up with smaller guys. Clarkson threw a couple of great passes. Clarkson threw like an 18-foot alley-oop. I mean, it was it was a thing of beauty. Uh, Conley did too. Whiteside's going to town, catching a ball and dunking, catching alley-oops at the rim and dunking, getting the ball on the floor and going up and dunking. Finishing with 21 points and 14 rebounds. Basically just looking like the 10th grader, you know, playing against a bunch of 6th graders. <laughs> it was easy. And the Jazz were feasting, and then with 6-11 going in the second quarter, there's a timeout. And both teams sub three players. So six of the ten guys on the court change, and with that, the entire tenor of the game changes. Jazz are up by 22 at that moment, and pulling away. They're up by 14 after a quarter. And they stretch the lead to 22. And they make those subs, and Detroit closes the quarter like a 16-7 to run. And then in the third quarter, just keeps coming. Ties the game up. There's a little back and forth. And then in the fourth quarter, pulls away. Jazz gave up 78 points in the second half. They clearly miss Rudy Gobert. But they shouldn't be giving up 78 points when Rudy Gobert isn't there. Give up 58 points and be a poor defensive team. Don't give up 78 points and be a hideous defensive team. Is this not good enough? It's not remotely good enough. The Jazz didn't just lose to the Pistons. Detroit, at the end, there was no drama. Detroit dominated. They win by 10. It felt like 15 or 20. So the Jazz have lost three in a row. Now, you know, what does this mean? Big picture, long run. Well, face it. Everybody wants the Jazz to win the championship. They had the best record in the league last year. So now there's nothing but playoff success. You've done everything you can do in the regular season. And they're not winning the championship if they don't have Rudy. So... To a certain degree, these games don't mean anything. But Donovan Mitchell's post-game speech after Indiana I thought was spot on. We played it a couple times yesterday. Actually, I think we played it three times yesterday. 
And it's basically, you got to do things right all the time. Cross T's, dot I's, execute, go over the screen when you're supposed to go under, or go over when you're supposed to go over. Don't go under when you're supposed to go over. Stop turning the ball over. Stop giving up offensive rebounds and easy points in transition, whether they're dunks or the guys are pulling up for threes, either way. Don't do it. You got you to do the little things right all the time. And the Jazz didn't do that. Now, if they don't have Gobert, they're not winning the title. They didn't have Gobert. They didn't have Joe Ingles. Um, they were missing Rudy Gay off the bench. The bench played pretty well. That run they had in the early early in the second quarter, they did with Daniel House was in the game. Eric Pascal, guys who don't normally play, were in the game. And they were playing well. But the second half was a disaster, and really it started in the middle of the second quarter. So you can't really blame it on, oh, it's a long five-game road trip. Yeah, except most of the guys didn't play in the middle game. Well, they had a back-to-back. Well, most of the guys didn't play in the first game of the back-to-back. Toronto was the third game of the trip, the first game of the back-to-back, and guys didn't play. So I have a hard time buying all of that. Rudy wasn't there. They desperately need Rudy. But they ought to be better without Rudy. Not that they should be great without Rudy. I don't even know if they'd be good without Rudy. But if they could at least be mediocre or below average, 78 points and a half, that's hideous. You're, you're one bucket away from 80. That's just way too many points to give up in 24 minutes of basketball. So Jazz have lost three in a row. They play Cleveland on Wednesday, and then they're off until Sunday when they play Denver. Uh, Bowler was on uh, the broadcast last night saying that Joe is getting close. Now, I don't know if that means he plays Wednesday or not, but just from the way Bowler was talking, I think he plays Sunday against the Nuggets. When will Gobert get back? That's not as clear. Other guys are just going in, uh, so... You know, we'll have to see how it plays out for them and how sick they are and how long they need to bounce back. That's all to be figured out. But the first two guys in were Joe and Rudy, and it sounds like Joe is close, and then we'll see uh, see how Rudy does after that. All right, and then the other thing is the college football game. The lousy first half. Lots of field goals. Bam up 9-6, but it got really good in the fourth quarter. And Stetson Bennett the fourth. The former walk-on quarterback who transferred to a JC, then came back to Georgia, lost the job, buried on the depth chart at number three, ends up starting and ends up winning the national championship. They didn't win the SEC. It was their only loss of the year, losing to Bama, but they got the rematch, and they did it with a big fourth quarter. And after a play that I really thought was a pass. But they ruled it a fumble, and Alabama recovered it, barely, because they reacted like they thought it was a pass. <laughs> and they got a short field, and they got a touchdown, and they took an 18-13 lead. Such an SEC football score. <laughs> and, then, and then it was all Georgia from there. Bennett threw a couple of touchdown passes. They got a pick six to ice it, and Georgia wins the title. And if there's one lesson, stay where you're planted. Don't be transferring all over the place. Go to your dream school. Chase your dreams. Stetson Bennett got to do it. But everything that's happened in the transfer portal says that's not the way most quarterbacks think. Jackson Dart went into the transfer portal, the uh, former Roy and Corner Canyon quarterback. So he transferred in high school. Now he's going to transfer in college one year at USC. New coach. New coach flirting with his old quarterback from Oklahoma. And Jackson Dart is, I'm out. Where he lands, I would think he could land at a uh, pretty high-file pro. Pretty high-profile program because I thought in the playing time he got, he looked good. He was a well-thought-of recruit who came in and was able to play uh, as a true freshman. and looked pretty good doing it. Had to battle some injuries. I, I would expect some interest there. But choose wisely. And of course, things change underneath you all the time. But choose wisely. 
All right, DJ and PK, we got to take a break right now. Uh, coming up, we got the best of the jazz post game show on the way, and we've also got uh, Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider. Stay with us, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 at 1280 the zone. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 at 1280 the zone. Well, the Jazz lose to the Pistons 126 116, third straight road loss. And for more, let's get to the best of the post game show right here on 97.5 at 1280 the zone. Jazz recap from DJ and P- on DJ and PK here on 97.5 and 1280 the zone. Jake Scott with you. Brutal loss for the Jazz last night to the Pistons 126 to 116. Of course, the Jazz shorthanded, still missing a bunch of guys, including Rudy Gobert. And uh, it really was a factor, it has been a factor. Uh, uh, the last several games, of course, his defense was an issue, even going up against Detroit, who is the worst offensive team in the league. Did not look like it going up against this Jazz team last night as uh, the Pistons get a win, 126-116. to 116. Let's get you uh, some post-game sound. Let's start things off with Jazz head coach Quinn Snyder. Thank you. So uh, Detroit scores 78 after halftime on almost 60% shooting. Kind of what, was, uh, what were the biggest issues defensively? Well, I think, you know, at the beginning of the third quarter, um, first we didn't take care of the ball and we gave them some, you know, some easy, easy stuff, um, which I thought, you know, helped build their confidence. And um, I think our whole group knows, you know, how people perceive our team and how they can attack us. Um you know, I think we're better defensively than than we showed tonight. Um, I think we can impact some of those shots more. Obviously, you can't just point to their shooting, although, you know, obviously they, they did make shots. Uh, you know, but th- this is, you know, our our goal is to be the best, you know, version of ourselves um, at the end of the year. And, you know, this game needs to help us help focus us uh, because you know some of the things that we need to be able to do that we need to place more value on whether it be taking care of the basketball you know staying in front when we don't stand in front you know to be shifted and be ready to help one another uh, you know when we did get a couple stops and i thought at some crucial times we didn't secure the ball uh, and we had to defend another possession so a lot of things here that, as I said, I, I think we're better than, um, you know, than what we showed tonight, but also things for us to, you know, to internalize and, you know, to, to, to be better. Sarah Todd. Quinn, how do you make the decision, I guess, on a night-to-night basis when you, on a game that you might want your guys to kind of move on from really quickly or a game where you might want them to look back and reflect on a little bit more? Well, I I think, I think you can do both. Um, You know, in this case, you know, I, I think it's a reminder to us how focused we need to be. Um, you know, with with respect to our execution offensively, um, I thought that let us down at certain points. And then, you know, also, you know, the things that I mentioned defensively that um, I don't, you know, I, I don't think, you, you know, you just let go of that. Um, at the same time, you know, you know when a team shoots like they did, that you know, you're going to have a hard time. 
um, you know, as I said, that, that, that said, you know, there's more that we can do to impact that, you know, our guys know that. And, you know, it's a, it's a reminder to us, you know, how connected we have to be on the defensive end. Tony Jones. Was there any thought of, of, uh, at, the, at the beginning of the second half, calling the quick timeout once they went on that initial 13-4 run, or was the the process of thought to try to let them let let the guys play through it a little bit? Well, you know, I, I think Tony, there's always times in the game you can look at, you know, where you could have called timeout, or when you do call a timeout, where you substitute. Um, in my mind. You know, this is something tonight that uh, as much as anything, you know, we can continue to focus our, our minds on the situation. The, the things that we were doing um, at the beginning of the quarter are things we've talked about. And you know, I think we're a team at this point that's been together enough. And, you know, hopefully we can we can make those adjustments Um you know, on our own. Um, that's not to say, you know, I can certainly, you know, look at that and, and question a timeout or not. I, I don't think in this case, uh, you know, the, the timeouts or game management, I'm not deflecting anything. You know, I can, I'll, we'll look at the tape and, you know, we tried to do certain things, whether it be blitz the pick and roll or shift or rotate or substitute. We played small with Eric. Um, we got Hassan back in and had him trying to protect the rim. So th there were a lot of things that, you know, that all of us can do. I mean, we're, we're a team, you know, players and coaches included. And, you know, if that timeout should have been taken or, or would have helped, obviously, you know, I would take it. Um, but in this case, again, I, I feel like our group, you know, you know, does have the capability when focused to, to make adjustments, um, you know, when they're necessary as well. Okay, last question, Andy Larson. Quinn, you mentioned this team has been together for a long time, and, and for years now, kind of the defensive numbers haven't been great when Rudy Gobert is not available. So I guess, do you feel like you have personnel that can be a good defensive team when Rudy Gobert is not on the floor? I mean, that, that, I don't think there's any, any uh, mystery in that you're, if the defensive player of the year is not on the floor, that you're not going to be as good defensively. We were, you know, we, we were decent defensively in the first half. So the answer to that is it, uh, is, is yes, you know, we're not going to be as good defensively. There's, there's, you know, there's no question about that. Um, but we can be better than we were tonight. I, I know that. There's Jazz head coach Quinn Snyder as his team uh, fell last night in Detroit, one twenty six to one sixteen. Uh, let's get to the players. Let's uh, start the player sound off with Mike Conley. Hey, Mike. I'm I'm wondering when you guys have uh, sort of nights where you struggle a little bit defensively, especially like you did in the second half, um, not getting out on shooters or maybe missing um, a rotation or a switch or whatever it is on the perimeter where would you say that the biggest problems lie is it communication or is it a misrotation or what is it that is the problem well, I, I think there's there's multiple things going on but initially i think it 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 lies on us just you know staying in front of our man um uh, relying on on help when we need it but not 
you know, not over helping at times, uh, understanding when to help, when not to. And, you know, we've got guys who, 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 you know, we'll turn them two or three times, but we can't just let them play one-on-one uh, with the court spread. So as a team, we have to do a better job of communicating and being in help first and then uh, kind of space out to shooters on the back end. And, and then at the end of it, complete, uh, you know, to complete the possession and get the, get the defensive rebound and go. Because uh, when we got stops, you know, we were able to get out and make make plays in the offensive end. And tonight was another night where they just started driving and, and you know, kind of gashing us in the paint. Next up, Tony Jones. Mike, where would you say would be the big would have been the biggest issue defensively for you guys tonight? Um, I think obviously containing the ball is big, um, but. We had some miscommunications on defense where we left guys, you know, wide open in corners, and um, you know whether it be we're, we're changing up defense mid game, we all got to be on the same page. And I thought we just weren't as as tight as a group. Um, and there's no excuses of who's who's in or who's out of the lineup. We we're, we've been playing together long enough to know where we need to be and uh, in those situations. And um, we had some lapses there that that you know at the end of it. You, you, you pile up two, three, four of those. Uh, you give a team like Detroit confidence to, to go out there and play free and, and, and go out there and beat you. Eric Walden. Mike, along those lines, Quinn was saying that you guys had a decent first half defensively, and then obviously you look at the numbers Detroit put up after the break. Uh, what change was it more, you know, that you guys stopped doing things that you were doing early on or that they just adjusted to it? Uh, what, what was the big change after the break? I thought initially it was, you know, turnovers on the offensive end. You know, I think us – Giving them easy, easy layups, easy dunks on the other end, just kind of got them in a in a mode where they were they're more of an attack mode. When we kind of had them on their heels in the first half, uh, we were being the aggressor, and um, you know I think our offense, you know, got stagnant and led to to easy buckets for them. And then you know defensively, it was tougher on us because they just started you know stretching the floor and spacing five guys out and just you know trying to trying to drive and kick out and they played uh you know Trey Lyles at the at the five there and tried to space us with a, with a shooting big again and and that's what we're going to see from teams and we know that already and um you know we just got to be better follow up from Sarah Todd Mike, you said you guys have been together for a long time and been playing together, but you do have guys that are playing with the team for the first time this week. And you've got guys that are playing kind of in, in positions and playing minutes in spots where they haven't all season long. How much does that impact what you guys are able to do? Uh, it, it impacts it. You know, obviously every team is going through that um, right now. So like I said, it's, it's not an excuse on our end. I think it's, you know, in games where you do have guys in the lineup that haven't been in for a while, it's it's more evident that you have to just play harder. You have to do things uh, a little bit tighter. You know, everything has to be a little bit more, you know, crisp. And, and um, you, you really have to communicate in those situations. I think that we just, you know, in all those areas, we weren't at our best tonight, obviously. And, um, and to help those new guys, um, we all have to try to keep keep them in the knit as much as we can. You know, our, obviously our playbook isn't this as a, a expanded. You know, when you got guys like Rudy Gay and Rudy Gobert out, and you know, a lot of it runs through Rudy Gobert and what we do. So we have to get Hassan up to speed. We have to get Novell and um, EP playing the five some. Like just we just, we just having to mix and match guys and 
um, you know, we're just trying to work it out as we go. But at the end of the day, you know, we still, with the talent we have in this team, we have to, we have to be better. There's Mike Conley. He had 13 points, eight assists uh, last night in the loss against Detroit. Up next, let's hear from Jordan Clarkson. Hey, JC. So, um, they wound up scoring 78 points after halftime. Uh, what were kind of the, the big changes after the break in terms of what they were doing differently or, or what was going on with you guys defensively? Well, uh, and then they turned the ball over. Uh, and then they started scoring. And, you know, we switched, they got into the lane, finished and made shots. Uh, a couple of the guys hit big threes towards the end and uh, made big plays. Uh, they were just getting in the paint, driving us. Uh, they were just making plays. Sorry, Todd. Jordan, where do you feel like the Jazz's defense is right now? Oh. Um, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know how you can gauge that right now. It's uh, kind of like uh, making the best of our situation in terms of COVID and guys out and stuff like that. Still figuring it out. Um, but, I mean, these last two games, I don't think it's been the best that, you know, we have played at all uh, on that end or, or offensively. So, um I mean, this is uh, halfway through the season. We expect rough patches and um, stuff like this to happen, especially with what we got going on. Uh, but all the guys that's been coming in uh, have been playing hard, uh, trying to figure out everything. You know, we got so many concepts and everything as well. So, um, you know, they're doing a great job of listening and trying to pick up as much as they can as much as fast as possible. So, uh, I don't think I could gauge anything on that. Uh, but these last two games, three games, uh, you know, it's been it's been tough. Okay, follow up from Sarah. Well, uh, Sarah Todd, how much does that impact things when you've got you know guys that just started playing with you this week, or you've got you know like EP playing at the five, and that hasn't happened a lot this this season, especially since Rudy Gay has been back. Um, I mean, it just shoot. I mean. I've been traded mid-season like two, three years in a row. Or like not in a row, but you know what I'm saying. I've been on different teams, learning different different stuff, playing with new guys. Um, it is different, but, you know, it's the league. Right now, this is just what we got to do. This is what uh, we got to embrace and, you know, come out there and compete every night um, and try to get wins. Uh, but like I said, those guys – Playing hard, um, they doing what they can on their end to try to learn as fast as quick as possible to kind of get thrown in the rotation and and uh, the lineups. But like Eric, Eric's done a great job for us. Uh, he did a great job for us early in the year too, um, playing that position. So uh, you know, I think he's he's uh, really stepped in and, and done a great job with that too. Jordan Clarkson, uh, right there. Jordan came off the bench, twenty eight minutes, sixteen points, five boards, and uh, had three assists in the loss. Let's now wrap up the player sound with Donovan Mitchell. Hey, Don. So after the Pacers lost the other night, you were kind of, you know, a little critical of, of in terms of saying the effort and the, the consistency and the competitiveness need to be on that championship level every game. Um, what are your thoughts kind of after, after a night like tonight where Detroit has the second half that they do? Um... 
give credit where credit's due. They did a lot of things well in the second half. Um, we didn't do a lot right in the second half. We got to guard, man. We got to just guard the ball. There really ain't much else to it. Um, if we get beat, we got to have second up, have each other's back. We're just disjointed on the defensive end, and it's, it's apparent. I have Rudy back there. Like, you know, we got to do it, or we got to be able to have each other's back like that. And, you know, we have This is what happens. So. Yeah, I ain't got much else for you. Sarah Todd? Don, when there's a breakdown on the perimeter on defense, where would you say the, the biggest issue is there? Is it point of attack, communication? What is the biggest problem? Every, everything. You know, we got to stay in front. Can't get back up. We get beat. We got to have help. Close out the shooters. And they shot they shot the hell out of the ball, you know, as well. You know, even when we were there contesting, they shot 50% from three. Um, but even still, they're getting those shots because guys are getting to the paint off one move. Um, we're not talking. We're talking the first half. Can't get up. We can't get up 20-something. And, like, lose. Like, like... We can't. Like, it's just not. We fooling ourselves and we say we want to win a championship and we have a night like tonight. The past two nights, really. So it's like, got a point, Sarah, but we just got to do it. I, I, I really, we just got to go out there and do it. We got to communicate, got to have each other's back. We did it. You saw what it looked like in the first half. <laughs> we just got to do it. Tony Jones. Uh, why are you guys is, is there a specific reason why you guys are not uh guarding uh the way you the way you need need to guard i mean last last three games um you know just defensively and obviously the first game you guys didn't have your guys there a lot of the regulars but you know in indiana detroit um just really bad defensively both nights when you don't have Rudy Gobert back there, our intensity has to turn up. Like we did it against Denver, you know, it's 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 there. But we don't do it consistently. Like I said in, in um, where were we just at Indiana. If we don't do it consistently. This is going to happen, and this is one through seventeen, or however many guys we got in the locker. This isn't just on one person, on three people on a selective group. This is. Everything. We get up, excited, happy, whatever, and we 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 have a lack of focus. We were locked in when we had to be against Denver. You know, we were locked in from start to finish. It didn't look necessarily pretty all the time, but it it, it felt like we were communicating and talking. So it's not that we can't. You know, obviously the glaring thing is Rudy's not back there to to save us and protect us on the defensive end, but we've done it. Like we, we we did it, so it's okay. It's capable. We're capable. Now it's like, are we going to do it on a consistent basis? And we we aren't, and uh, it's got to be fixed. That's Donovan Mitchell, 31 points, 11 of 25 shooting. He had uh, three boards and four assists as well as the Jazz lose, 126 to 116. The Jazz now return home. Uh, they'll take on the Cleveland Cavaliers coming up tomorrow night. That game will tip off at 7 o'clock. Pre-game coverage begins at 6. There is the best of the post-game show when we come back. Steve Cleveland, our college basketball insider, coming up next. 
DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Our college basketball insider, Steve Cleveland, joined us late in yesterday's show. He talks college hoops. He talks NBA hoops. He's our basketball insider. Here is Steve. Steve, how are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. It's uh, We've had uh, a lot of colder weather for Central California, a lot of rain, but uh, it's all good. Excellent. The uh, Utah Jazz have a lot of guys going into health and safety protocol. They were the last team to put a guy in, but Joe Ingles went in, and then Rudy Gobert went in a couple days later. And now we got word on uh, Sunday that Rudy Gay and Elijah Hughes are going in as well. The Jazz are down a starter and two subs who play a pretty good chunk of time themselves. So how much should Jazz fans be sweating the results now, and how much do you just have to get through the next, I don't know, week or two, whatever it turns out to be? You know, I, I mean, it, it's an unfortunate circumstance. The Jazz should feel very blessed that uh, they haven't had to deal with what a lot of the teams in the, in the league have. I think the Jazz, just I mean, they're kind of the last bastion of people, you know, programs to actually get, get hard, hit pretty hard. But, I mean, it's, that's what's happening throughout the league. What's been amazing to me, and a lot of, as I've watched games and little bits and pieces of games, is how many really good players there are in the NBA. <laughs> Guys I've never heard of, you know, dropping 25 or dropping 27, and they're you know they're they're playing six or seven minutes a game. So uh, it, it does say something about the depth and the talent, especially some of the young talent in the league that. Uh, you know, it's all of a sudden you think it's going to be a blowout and two or three people that we had never heard of, you know, score 15, 18, 20 points. There's a lot of good players in the league, and not all of them are playing just because of the depth and the talent of this league. So that has been something that's been a little bit surprising uh, in that other people have had a chance to step up. And, you know, you do that, your team gets better. You, you can't afford losses, a lot of losses, but uh, that's that's the way it is. So... Uh, I, I don't think the Jazz. I mean, obviously, anytime you're missing a, people who are getting significant minutes, it's gonna you're gonna have to make adjustments. But I think for the Jazz, most of their leading scorers, guys that uh, have been carrying that team, are still playing. Yeah, and and you look at it, and my my thought is maybe it'll change going forward. Uh, because if guys are out and a bunch of teams have you know key players out, four and five guys, it's going to be hard for them to win. We saw it the other night in Toronto. The Jazz, by their own uh, doing, you know, sat basically everyone, and so the young guys yep. had a nice first half, and then Van Fleet did what he did in the second half, so they ended up losing the game. So I'm thinking that you know maybe it waters down the regular season, but to date though. If I make that argument, I don't know that I have the standings to back me up because it looks like the best teams in the West, particularly, and sticking with the West, they're where they're supposed to be. One, two, three with the Jazz, and the Grizzlies got a lot of young talent there. Uh, obviously, Morant and that Bain kid that the, they got at the end of the first round is looking like a steal big time. So when I look at the standings, they basically reflect... Uh, what's happened? You know, you, some injuries involved with the Lakers and Clippers for sure. Uh, and but you're, every season there's injuries. You can't predict them, and you can't count on them. But they always happen. So as I look at the standings, though, it's not really COVID related to the standings because they're trying to. They're basically true to the talent that's been available. It's true, and I and I think for, for instance, you look you're looking at Golden State and Phoenix and Utah. 
I mean, yes, uh, Booker was out for a few games, but they've never really been hit hard. And these are teams that all that have depth as well. You know, I mean, these are, you know, you take Golden State, I'm going to talk about Memphis in a minute, but Golden State and Phoenix and Utah have all had protocol, safety, uh, health and protocol issues, but not to the magnitude where three of their leading scorers were out at the same time. You know, it's, it's usually one or two guys and somebody else picks up, and, and, and consequently you're right. I mean, the teams we thought would be really good, though, I think Golden State has is, is surprised some people. I, I don't think we felt maybe going into the year that Golden State would be 30-9, and nine, but, you know, it's also, you know, Jordan Poole and Otto Potter, uh, uh, you know, Port Porter plays playing well, and Wiggins has become an all-star. I mean, it's been, it's been a crazy what Golden State's done. So uh, I didn't expect Golden State to have to jump out like this. Phoenix and Utah, I think we all kind of expected it. I, I actually went and saw Memphis play last week uh, uh, against the Clippers. And, uh, and I've been watching them and following them. And, and you, you mentioned it already, Pat. I mean, Bain has been he, – he's incredible. I mean, he has got a motor. He's got a stroke. I mean, he, he – and, and Jaron Jackson – they, and they're, they're missing a couple of guys right now, too, with, uh, with Dylan Brooks being out and Steven Adams being out. But, uh, I mean, I know Clippers didn't really have, you know, you don't have Paul and you don't have Kawhi playing. But I'm telling you, I've watched them in other games, and Memphis is really, really, really good. I mean, they are fun to watch. I took my grandkids, and, and the, uh, the irony is we went to see Memphis to see John Morant. And, and, he, and he didn't play. Right. You know, he sat on the bench and walked around. But uh, that was disappointing. But, yeah, that is a team that is going to have to seriously be reckoned with because they really, really guard. And they're tough, tough-minded guys. And, and Bain is the perfect example of that. So that is really kind of a surprise. Kind of a surprise team for the NBA. I mean, we all knew that John Morant had it, but we didn't look at them as being elite three or four teams in the NBA West. And I'm, they're not going anywhere. They they just play so hard and compete, and uh, fun, fun, fun team to watch play. You mentioned the Warriors, and Clay Thompson is back. He's driving into traffic and throwing down a dunk with guys all around him. He's not worried about how he's landing, if he's going to get bumped, if he's going to. Boy, there was no fear whatsoever. And I'm curious if you can think of anyone who has been out for two and a half years straight. You know, Bernard King was out a long time ago for yeah. a full year, and his comeback was treated like the biggest thing ever. But that was one year, not two and a half years. And Grant Hill missed a lot of time, but he played 47 games over four years, so obviously he missed a lot of time, but he did play some. Bill Walton, I, I, don't, I can't think of a parallel for a guy who was completely shut down for two and a half seasons. No, you know, you know the thing is, when I was – when they were going through all that, and I, and I watched a bit of that game last night, and I, I just thought the mental part and the emotional part of doing that. I mean, yes, there was all of the physical that had to be dealt with, and all of the the, the physical therapy and all the, the magnitude of all the things that had to be done with doctors. But I mean, I'm telling you, right, just the emotional well-being and the mental health uh, of of going through that, and it's something that you have such passion for and and in your mind you're thinking because they think our minds do things to us and just the idea that he might get hurt again and j- j- he seemed to play you know pretty free and with reckless abandon and and, and and mind you you know two and a half years he's he's been working and everything that i've heard that's been reported is that 
you know, he's done everything he can possibly do. But I, I don't think we can underestimate the mental and emotional part of coming back and how hard that had to be. I mean, especially when someone that's been at the top of the mountain has won championships. And uh, I, I just thought in my in my in his gut, you know, it's kind of like you, you thought you're going to come up, you know. I just got to be positive. I got to play my game. I got to do what I, I got to be smart and not get in positions where I could hurt myself. Uh, he probably had to have a lot of counseling and a lot of friends talking through this thing because maybe the more difficult part would be the mental and the emotional part and not the physical. The body healed, got it where it needs to be. Uh, but the, the journey that he had mentally and emotionally, I can't even imagine. Do you install them as the favorites then or you still want to see? Uh, you know, I, I, I still want to see. I mean, I, I think that he, he's certainly going to have an impact. The thing is, <clears throat> it, it it's kind of like, all right, Jordan Poole, who's been playing really good, and I, I don't know what his average is. Right? He usually going for about 15, 16 a night. You got Wiggins, who's playing, and, you know, and so they're going to have to figure out how to play those people because the, the moment Clay Thompson comes on the floor, Jordan Poole takes a different role, and he's been playing really well, and, and, and maybe Porter plays a different role as well. So, yeah, I, I think the pieces are there. Do I think, I think they've got a great coaching staff? They, I mean, Draymond Green's like a coach on the floor. you got, you know, the best three-point shooter ever and, and who also plays with a very high IQ. I mean, it's not a stretch to say, hey, you can see Golden State winning it, but I don't think it happens that easy. It's going to take Clay Thompson time, and they're going to have to figure out how to play together because you've had some guys playing that have, have been significant contributors that all of a sudden their minutes are going to be down because Clay's probably going to take some of those minutes. And so there are some adjustments. I don't think it's just a smooth transition. It'll, it'll take uh, two or three weeks before they figure out where they're going. But Phoenix and Utah and Memphis in, 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 that, in that division are, are all capable of beating Golden State even with Clay Thompson. I mean, they're, if everybody stays healthy, uh, I, I, you know, I do think it's going to be those four teams. I don't think anybody else, Dallas, Denver, the Lakers are just, they're, they're nowhere close. Uh, you know, if the Clippers got back Paul and Kawhi and they were healthy in March, uh, that, they, they would jump into that. But right now, I don't see anybody that's close to those four teams. And I would have never thought I would say that about Memphis. But I, I've just I've kind of become a fan of watching them and, and, and watching John Morant. But, I, man, they're, they're, they have a lot of substance. It's not just the John Morant show is they defend and can shoot it and they share the ball just like Golden State, Phoenix, and Utah do. So those those four teams, uh, out of that four, you're going to have an NBA West champion. I don't think anybody's going to sneak up on them. Despite the fact, PK, sure, I kiss up to as many local teams as possible to get the ratings as high as possible on Talking Sports, which may or may not be true. I'll take the fifth on that. Uh <laughs> I started the season thinking Barcelo was the best player in the state and BYU was an NCAA tournament team. And PK has definitely talked me into Justin Bean as the best player in the state. But I think BYU, with the two injuries to the big guys, is vulnerable defensively against better teams, maybe even against mediocre teams if, they're, you know, if they have the right uh, talent, the right players to attack them. And... Scoring has become such a struggle for anyone other than Barcelo on a given night. Maybe Troy or maybe Nell, but scoring for the team has been an issue. I'm thinking they're going to miss the NCAA tournament. What do you think? I think it's too early to say that. 
I, I, I do I do I do agree with you that it, scoring is a struggle. Now you know when you're watching St. Mary's, who makes the game really ugly and makes it very difficult. And but I but I, I but I agree with you that you know Nell and Spencer Johnson and you know are both guys that on any given night can shoot the three well. Luke Lucas is more of a scorer than he is a shooter, but. That he he actually brings something there that they that they really need, and you know Borcello is going to get the attention of everybody, and, and so I would say you know they're going to go play Gonzaga, and then they're going to go play USF. Uh, it, you know it's going to be tough to beat Gonzaga at home. I mean it's been done before. I'm not sure this team has the ability to do that. You never know. The, the big game for them this week is USF, and who's who's gotten off to a really good year. I think they're 14 and two or. Uh, or yeah, I think they're fourteen and two, and, and so really, they're. I, I don't think St. Mary's is, is going to be in the top three personally. I mean, they may end up there, but I think San Francisco is a better team. You know, I wa- I watched that game, and, and I, I I just <laughs> I was so surprised that how long it took both teams to kind of figure things out. And 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 mind you, when you play St. Mary's, they grind it, they defend the three as good as anybody. I mean, they just lock you in. That's what they're good at. And they make the game really ugly. And, and Randy Bennett is a, a great coach. He's had great success. But I, I don't think they have the playmakers and the people that can make baskets when teams play also play solid defense. And BYU is really solid defensively. <clears throat> you know, one of the things I sat there and I – when I coached, and we all went through times where you go three or four or five minutes – I, I was a little surprised to watch St. Mary's go 10 minutes and not make any real significant adjustments. I mean, throughout the year, you have quick hitters, you have ISOs, you have things in your pocket that you use. And you save a lot of those for conference play. But it, it was like they just continued to do the same thing. And, and, and college basketball today is about handoffs. It's about uh, – it's about ball screens and slips. It's uh, you know, back cuts. I mean, you watch college basketball, and probably 75% of them are all playing the same way. And, and that's fine because there, there are some real positives to that. And when you have guys that can bounce it and penetrate and get where they need to get, you, you score. But it, it, I was just surprised that the adjustments offensively were just not there. It was like, Time out. You know, let's let's run a couple of quick hitters. Let's isolate somebody. Let's get something done. Where we, over, you know, overload the side of the floor. It just never happened. And I mean, I, I I've been in games. Trust me, where I coached and we couldn't score for five or six minutes. But I was just surprised that there were no real adjustments there. And we're talking about Randy Bennett. I consider one of the best college basketball coaches in the country. He, he, his record speaks for itself and how they play. They make the game pretty ugly. And difficult to play. They're tough-minded, but to go ten and twelve minutes in this day and age—that just seemed really hard for me to believe that there isn't something that you do. I mean, most coaches will have, you know, quick hitters and isos out of timeouts, dead balls, uh, where you know you can you can do something, get to the free throw line. That's the whole thing. Get to the free throw line. Quit shooting threes. Get to the free throw line. But I, I, I mean, I watch that game. I've been in grind-out games like that. Mark Pope, I know his comments. Uh, uh, after the game and before the game where it's really hard to play against these guys. They just really muddy the game up. But I I just thought I would see more adjustments. 10 and 12-minute 
time periods of not scoring, uh, that that's hard to watch. <laughs> hard to watch. And it's, I know it's all about who has one more point than the other team. But uh, well, we shall see. I, I think BYU, going back to uh, to them and the, the NCAA tournament, I think they have the pedigree right now. I think it, I think the the experts have them in the tournament, and uh, but they're not they're not going to be able to have slip ups. I mean, they they can't lose the teams that that they're not supposed to lose to. And going on the road in the WCC for BYU and for everybody sometimes can be a little bit of a challenge. And so it, it'll be interesting. I, I do believe. If they can finish second in this conference, even finish third, that there's going to be at least three teams go. But whether there's going to be four teams, I don't know. But San Francisco has put themselves in a position right now. If San Francisco beats BYU at home, then you know you're 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 in a situation where you got to beat them at home. And so uh, I think they're still in. I, I, I like where they're at in terms of the of uh, their body of work, but they they can't have two or three losses to teams they shouldn't have to and, and then get into the tournament. So it, that, that staff seems to really prepare well defensively. I don't see that happening. But this is a tough week for BYU. I mean, they go to Zags, go to San Francisco. We're going to find out uh, how they respond to that. And I, I would imagine that obviously they'll be prepared. But those will be two tough tasks. Steve Cleveland, he's our basketball insider, brought to you by Mountainland Supply every week here on The Zone. Steve, we appreciate it. We'll talk to you again next week. Thanks, you guys. Take care. There is Steve Cleveland. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines next.